Now this morning, I would like to continue to talk about the Christmas series about the birth of Jesus because it's the Christmas time. Now this morning, I would like to try to answer four fundamental, very important questions which talks about the birth of Jesus into humankind according to the Old Testament from the prophetic point of view. The question are, number one, where will he born? That means that according to the Old Testament, is there any indication of where Jesus will be born? Number two, when will he born? Specifically, what time frame will Jesus be born according to the Old Testament, uh, uh, Old Testament prophecy? And number three, how will he be born? In what manner, what method, how will Jesus be born according to the Old Testament prophecy? And number four, who will he be? That means that, what will he be like? What characteristics our Saviour and our King will be? So these are the four questions that I would like to share with all of you here, whether on-site or online. As you follow along, I would like you to take note that in these four questions, there are basically two categories. The first two questions, where will he be born? When will he be born? It is a very important question. Very important. But it is less significant because where he will be born and when will he be born, as long as the Old Testament prophesy tells where and when, as long as anyone who is born at that place during that time frame, that person could be our saviour, that person could be the Messiah. But question number three and number four, how will he be born and who will he be? These two are the final two very important questions and also very significant questions. Because if you can fulfill question one, question two, and question three and question four, all four of them, that shows that truly you are the prophesied Messiah. And these are the four questions that we are going to look into. Alright? So, question number one. Where will he be born? Let's turn to Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And this is a very familiar verse that we always read during Christmas time. And this will answer the question, where will Jesus be born? Now, the book of Micah is written about 750 years before the birth of Jesus. And I want you to hear how specific the prophecy about Jesus' birth even 750 years before he is born. Micah chapter 5 verse 2, it says here, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be the ruler over Israel, whose origins are of old from ancient time. Now in this passage, in this verse, it is prophesied that Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, will be born in Bethlehem, Ephrata. And it is a very small city in Judah, a very small, insignificant region of Jerusalem. Now take note, Prophet Micah did not say that Jesus will be born in the region of Jerusalem. It's not a big region that he's prophesying. He didn't say that Jesus is born in the region of Palestine, which is the larger uh, place that is referred to. For example, the prophet Micah did not say that Jesus will be born in Klang Valley, which is a very big region. Prophet Micah did not say that Jesus will be born in Cheras, which is also a very big 
city. But Prophet Micah specifically says that the birth of a saviour will be in Jalan Pudu. So specific. Not in Klang Valley, not even in Churas, but in Jalan Pudu. So this is how specific the prophecy of Christ's uh, birth is 700 years ago. Where will he be born? Now, it is, uh, Bethlehem is actually a very small place, a very small town. Less than 1,000 people during that time, during Jesus' time. Now, in modern day time, our, prophes- uh, our uh, people who can prophesy, who can predict, those who can tell you fortune, those who can do prediction, they will always tell you things in broad, general ways. For example, I can tell you, uh, the next Miss Malaysia, in the coming five years, it will come from the state of Kuala Lumpur. And you can just watch. In the next five years, every year, we will have Miss Malaysia. And in the coming five years, perhaps, one of them will come from the state of Malaysia. Or maybe, I would say, the, I predict the next winner of the Malaysia Super Cup, the football Malaysia Super Cup, will be from Johor. Now, the possibility is very high because Johor is a very strong football team in Malaysia. So, if I predict in such broad manner, the odds is with me. So, most likely it may happen, but this is specific. Uh, this is not specific. It is prediction in a broad sense. But here, we read that Micah, by the Holy Spirit, prophesied that the Saviour will come from Bethlehem, a very specific place. Now, many, many years ago, I went to this church in Sriraman. I went there and I talked to the local people there, the members of the church there, and I asked the person, where, where you come from? Because a church in Sriraman, I would expect the person says that I come from Port Dixon, I come from uh, Kuala Pila, I come from uh, uh, Nilai. You know, those are the places that will be nearby. So this one person says, I come from the place called Siliao. Siliao. So I was like, what? Siliao. So I asked, where is this place? He says, this place called Siliao is a very small town, very, very small town, an agricultural town. Not even a town, it's a village in Negeri Sembilan. A very small place. And I asked the person, Siliao? What does it mean? The person says, the word Siliao, this town is actually called Siliao. In Chinese, si means die. Liao means everything gone. Si liao means everything die and gone. So I asked the person, why is this town called Si Liao? And of course, I googled it. Yes, this place does exist. Si Liao, Negeri Sembilan. It's really called Si Liao. And the person says that it was believed as a legend or even as a myth that this place is called Si Liao because about 200 years ago, when a Chinese immigrant came, they have a big fight with the Malay, and there was a big massacre, and a lot of people died, and therefore this place is called Siliao. Everything died, everything gone. Now, I have not heard of this place. So, this place, so small, even though I haven't heard about it, Micah, for example, if he can say that out of this state, Negri Sembilan, he will be born in a region called Sremban. Now, Sremban is big. Any one of you, if you're born in Sremban, you fit in 
in this prophecy that you may be one of the Savior. But 750 years before Jesus' birth, Prophet Micah already says, the Savior will be born in the small village of Siliao. This is how specific it is. This is how amazing the Old Testament already prophesied the coming of the Messiah. So similarly, Micah did not predict by saying in a broad term. He did not say that the Saviour will be born in the land of Philistine. He did not say that he will be born in the region of Jerusalem, but specifically in Bethlehem, Ephrata. So amazing. So precise. Today, we know by the study of the Word of God, Jesus is born in Bethlehem. So the first question, where will He be born? Where will the Saviour be born according to the Old Testament? In Bethlehem, Ephrata. Question number two, when will He be born? To answer this, we need to turn to the book of Daniel, chapter 9, verses 24 to 26. And again, I want you to take note of how precise how specific the time of birth. But this is not an easy passage. If you are watching this online or you are here in a hall with me, I want you to follow me. Do some mathematical calculation in your head if possible. But first, let me read to you Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 26. It says here, 77 are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Know and understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in time of trouble, after 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. Now, I'm highlighting the 70 sevens, seven sevens, 62 sevens. Now, here in this book of Daniel, the word sevens, plural, sevens, if you look at the footnote of your Bible, it will say that it indicates years. So in a prophetic language, 77, it means 70 years. Okay? It means 70 years. And 70 times 7 means 490, 490 years. So that means that from the prophecy of Daniel, here in chapter 9, from this time onward, there will be 490 years till the time of Jesus. That is how specific it is. Because Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, it says, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, to anoint the most holy. So here, it says that from Daniel's time to the time where Jesus came, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness. It refers to the Messiah. By the way, the Messiah means anointed one. Messiah, anointed one. Which means he will be the one who will put an end to sin. 
So a total of 490 years is needed from the time of Daniel until the time of the coming of our Lord, Saviour. And then, the Saviour will die. It says here, to put an end. Alright? So, let's continue and to look into this passage. Daniel chapter 9, verse 25. It says here, Know and understand this, from the issuing of decree to the restore and rebuild of Jerusalem. The rebuild and restore of Jerusalem indicates the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, the rebuilding of the wall. From the time of Daniel to the time of Ezra and Nehemiah and then to the time of Jesus' birth. There will be 70 sevens, 62 sevens. So, after hearing some complex mathematics, let me show you what it is. The next chart, please. Next one. Now, if you see the orange one, it says here, there will be seven sevens from time of Daniel until the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. There will be seven sevens. That means that seven of seven years, which is 49 years, the, the orange chart. And then from Ezra and Nehemiah, which is from the green chart, it says 62-7, which is 434 years from the rebuilding of Jerusalem to the birth of Messiah, Jesus' birth, which is 62-7, 434 years. And then the yellow chart, one year, which is the seven years of tribulation at the end time. So all together, if you plus seven sevens, 62-7 and 1-7, which is the year of tribulation, the end time, which has not come yet, we will have 490 years. The specific prophecy of the, of the birth of Jesus, all together. This is how specific Prophet Daniel prophesied about the coming of Messiah. In the Old Testament, 700 years before the birth of Jesus. Isn't it amazing? Not only Prophet Daniel predicts that Jesus will be born, the Messiah will be born. He gave specific time. He did not just tell you, okay, about 500 years from now, about 450 years from now, about that, about that. No. Very specific. 490 years. And Daniel says that Jesus will be cut off. Meaning that the death of Jesus. So if you do the calculation, you will come up to the year AD 30, AD 30, the year which we believe that Jesus was crucified. It was very, very specific. Time and timing is very important. I remember many, many years ago when I went to Cambodia for a mission trip. Cambodia. And Cambodia is one hour ahead of us. Alright? So when I bought the flight ticket, I have to make sure the departure time and the arrival time. Because at that time, I couldn't understand. When the air ticket says departure time, I'm departing from KL. And when I arrive, I arrive to Cambodia and the arrival time is actually Cambodia time. So, the flight would take about two hours and I do some calculation. It should arrive about two and a half hours later. But the departure time in KL and the arrival time in Cambodia, all together, it took about four and a half hours. And I calculate, 
It's about three and a half hour flight. How come the total arrival and departure time is four and a half hours? So I have to do some calculation and then finally I realized, oh, there is one hour difference between Cambodia and Malaysia. And therefore, it's four and a half hours. So I have to get the time and timing right. Time and timing is very important. Imagine if I depart from Cambodia back to Malaysia, the time will be different. Now is the time of pandemic. Every one of us, we go on meeting through online, right? And there are times where I need to meet up with Pastor Irene and Dr. D. Both of them, they are in Australia. Australia is about two hours ahead of us. And I have to get the time and timing right. Imagine Pastor Irene woke up 8 o'clock in the morning, started to text me and call me. What time would it be for me? It would be 6 o'clock in the morning. Imagine if 10 o'clock at night, I have something to communicate with Pastor Irene and Dr. D. And I message them and say, let's meet up. It will be 12 midnight for them. Time and timing is very important. You have to get it right. It's not like Malaysian time. You all know why it's Malaysian time, right? Let's meet up 7 o'clock for wedding dinner. And the wedding dinner starts. We thank God that Daniel's time is not Malaysian time. Daniel's time is God's prophesied time. So, as such, Time and timing is very important. And the prophet Daniel in this Old Testament prophesied specifically in 490 years from the time of Daniel, there will be a birth of the anointed one. He could have predicted about 500 years, not even 490, you know, 500. And if Jesus is born within that time frame, he could be our saviour. Any one of you born in that time frame, you could be the saviour. But instead of about 500 years, Daniel, Prophet Daniel says 490 years. So specific. So we have looked at the first two questions. Where will he be born? When will he be born? And it's very amazing to see that the Prophet Micah and Prophet Daniel prophesy so specifically on these two questions. Where will Jesus be born? Bethlehem. When will Jesus be born? 490 years after the time of Daniel. And if any one of you, you are born that place, that timing, you can be the Messiah. So that's why the next two questions is very important to identify the true Messiah. So question number three, how will he be born? How will he be born? So we will dwell a bit in the book of Isaiah because the book of Isaiah give us a lot of prophecy about Jesus' birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. So let's look at one of the famous passages in the Bible. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. It says here, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The young women will be with child and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. The young woman will be with a child and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, this prophecy by Isaiah took place about 730 years before Jesus' birth. And this single verse, Isaiah 7.14, fulfills two prophecies. First, the immediate event when 
Isaiah prophesied this. He is telling King Ahaz, okay, King Ahaz is the king of Judah, living in a time during prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah gave this prophecy to King Ahaz, saying that there will be a young woman during King Ahaz's time who is going to conceive a normal conception, a normal conception, give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel. In Hebrew, Emmanuel means God with us. Emmanuel, God with El, us. In Hebrew, the word El is God. El Elohim. El Shaddai. El Nisi. Emmanuel. El means God. So, this young boy, Emmanuel, will be a sign to King Ahaz to tell him that God is going to deliver you. God is going to be with you. And God says this will be the sign that there will be a young woman conceived and give birth to a son and the son will be called Emmanuel. And it took place. So this prophecy, this prophecy took place during prophet Isaiah's time. And then in the New Testament, in the book of Matthew chapter 1 verse 23, the author took this prophecy and find it fulfillment in Mary, the mother of Jesus. And Matthew took this and says, a young virgin will conceive and will give birth to a son. And it happened. So this prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, find its fulfillment in the time of Isaiah as well as in the time of Jesus' birth. Now, the Hebrew word for young woman is called Alma. Alma, young woman. It refers to a young woman. It doesn't refer whether someone is virgin or not. The word Alma in Hebrew just it, it refers to just a young woman. It doesn't matter whether it is virgin or not. It can refer to both young woman and a virgin. It simply means young woman. The young woman could also be married or non-married. Alma is just generally a young woman. But in the New Testament, when Matthew took this prophecy, he used the word batullah. The Hebrew word batullah means virgin, specifically virgin. And for some reason, Isaiah used the word alma and Matthew used the word batullah, virgin. Why? Because the word alma in the time of Isaiah, it could also mean virgin. It's a general word for young woman, whether married or not, virgin or not. So the word Alma includes everyone. But in Matthew, it became very specific. The word Batula means virgin. So therefore, Matthew took this verse, this prophecy, and applied it to Mary, the young woman who gave birth to Jesus, a virgin birth. So the Virgin Mary gave birth to a son and named him Emmanuel. Now, before we move on further, I would like to make a clarification here. Many will assume that the virgin birth of Mary is needed. Why? If you ask yourself why the virgin birth is important, many of you, you will say that because Jesus is God, virgin birth will make him God and sinless. Actually, it's not. Many of you, you will assume 
that the virgin birth is needed because God is holy, He's sinless, and therefore a virgin birth. Actually, it's not. Jesus is God. Regardless of how He is born, He is still God. Fully God, sinless. But virgin birth is important because God says it is a sign. It's a special sign for us to know that this is Christ. This is Jesus. That is the importance of virgin birth as a sign. It's not because Jesus needs to be born from a virgin birth in order to make him holy or godly. No. It is a sign for us. Regardless of virgin birth or not, Jesus is God. Jesus is sinless. But in order to become our substitute to die on the cross, Jesus come as fully man. He is fully God, but He come as fully man so that He can pay for the consequence of our sin. He can go to the cross for you and for me. He has to be fully man. He could have come as a frog, as a cow, as a lamb, but no, He came as fully man, fully human, so that He can substitute you and me, leaving the glory and the honour of heaven. He's the King, the Creator of everything. But He left heaven coming to earth with such a lowly birth in a manger. Now, many years ago, I've watched a documentary and I've watched this documentary. It is about Saddam Hussein. Many of you, if you are old enough, you still know who Saddam Hussein is, right? So I watched this documentary about Saddam Hussein. And it talks about how glorious Saddam Hussein's lifestyle is. He is literally the king over his kingdom. Whatever he says, goes. Whatever he says, is the law. Whatever he goes, he can go and everyone must make way. Whatever he do, no one can hold him accountable. His living place is literally a palace. Everything is made out of gold. Even his toilet is made out of gold. Many wives, concubines, and also he is very powerful, influential. At, his blink, at the blink of his, uh, of his eye, he can kill a person or even massacre the entire village. That's how powerful it, he is. That's how great he is. The luxury, the comfort, the power, the influence. But when the United States come and invaded Iraq, they wanted to capture Saddam Hussein. And Saddam Hussein went into hiding. And after a few years of trying to capture him, we know that finally the American troops managed to capture him. And after the American captured him, he found Saddam Hussein living in a very run-down uh, squatter. There's no proper water, no clean water. There's no proper toilet. There's no proper bed. The place is so run-down that you and I would not even consider this as a place to stay. So this documentary talks about the life of Saddam Hussein from a great and mighty, powerful, influential leader 
to become someone who is captured in a very shady and very rundown place. Now, I'm not trying to compare Jesus with Saddam Hussein, but I want to make a point. Jesus, as he is born, he left the glory of heaven. He left his influence, his power in heaven to come to earth for you and for me. And this is how great and mighty the sacrifice that our Lord Jesus Christ made so that He can become the substitute for you and for me to die on the cross, to be born on earth on Christmas Day. God became flesh, left His glory in heaven, lived among us, died as a sacrificial lamb. So how will He be born? The Bible says, with a virgin birth. With a virgin birth. A young woman will conceive and call Him Emmanuel. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And question number four, who will he be? This will be the final question that really seals up the identity of Jesus. Who will he be? And let's turn to another chapter in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 to 7 to answer this question. Another famous and familiar passage. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 to 7. For unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Now, in the book of Isaiah, there are many, many names and titles. And names and titles are very significant in the Old Testament. Names and titles are very important, and especially in the book of Isaiah. Let me give you a few examples. In Isaiah chapter three, verse, uh, sorry, chapter seven, verse three, there's a name called uh, Shia Jasub. Shia Jasub. This name means a random shall return. It talks about Jerusalem will eventually return to its homeland. Shia Jasub. Renum will return. And then we have just read Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Emmanuel means God with us. Another example which I found very interesting. It is the longest name in the entire Bible. Found in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 3. The name is Maher Shalal Hasbas. The longest name. Maher Shalal Hasbas. The longest name. And Maher Shalal Hasbas is the second son of Prophet Isaiah. Prophet Isaiah had two sons, and the second son is called Maha Shalal Hasbas. Now, thank God I didn't have a son. You know why? Because if I have a son, I have this tendency to name him Maha Shalal Hasbas. Start with an M, Maha Shalal Hasbas. Imagine if I name my son Maha Shalal Hasbas, it will be a mouthful. For example, Mahashallah Hasbas, come and eat dinner. Mahashallah Hasbas, don't fight with your sister. Mahashallah Hasbas, listen to your mother. And imagine if the teacher were to give penalty to my son and says, write your name 100 times. Mahashallah Hasbas. Imagine the agony of filling up forms 
I see names. Maheshalal Hasbas. The longest name in the Bible. Now, as I said, Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah, there are many names and titles. And here in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 to 7, there are also this name and title. But it's a long phrase name, meaning that this word, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, in the Old Testament, in Hebrew, there's no comma. There's no comma. It is us reading in English, we put a comma. Wonderful counselor, comma. Mighty God, comma. Everlasting Father, comma, Prince of Peace. In Hebrew, is one long name. One long name. So I'm going to break down one by one and let you see this long name phrase. Number one, Wonderful Counselor. In Hebrew, Pelagios. Throughout the Bible, you can find the word wonderful in another uh, uh, book in the Old Testament, which is in Judges chapter 13, verse 18. It's a story that talks about the story of Samson's birth. Now, Manoah, the mother of Samson, is barren, without child, could not conceive child. But one day, an angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah and prophesied to Manoah and says that next year, this time, you will be with a child. You will give birth to a child. And then, the, uh, the mother, Manoah, asked the angel, Who are you? What is your name? So that I will be able to honor you. And then, verse 18, the angel asked, Why do you ask my name? It is beyond understanding. Beyond understanding. Which the words palace, which means it's wonderful. Now, in English, wonderful. But actually, in Hebrew, it's called, it is baffling. It is beyond your understanding. It is something that you may not even be able to comprehend. You may not be able to understand. You may be confused even if I tell you my name. So the word wonderful, this is what it means. Now, today, when we use the word wonderful, the meaning is not the same. If a three-year-old kid comes to you and says, look at my Drawing. Now, you will be very encouraging. and says, wow, it's wonderful. Now, it's good. It is very encouraging to tell a three-year-old painting saying that it's wonderful. And also, if someone in your colleague, someone gives you an idea, you say, okay, your idea is very wonderful. It's good. It's very encouraging. But when the Bible says it's wonderful counsellor, it's not just talking about a counsellor who is very wise, who is very good, very noble, very generous. Not that kind of wonderful. If you look at the Bible scripture, it means that wonderful counsellor, it means a baffling counsellor, a mind-boggling counsellor, a counsellor who gives you counsel which you can't even comprehend. You will say, what? You will say, huh? That kind of Wonderful. Because the Bible says, God's way is not our way. His way is much higher than ours. Who can understand the mind of the Lord? Jesus, the birth child on Christmas Day, He is 
the wonderful counsellor. Because during the lifetime of Jesus, he has taught many wonderful, baffling, confusing teachings. Jesus says, love your enemies. How many of you, you can do that? Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who betrayed you. Bless those who hurt you. Forgive those who hurt you. It's not easy. If anyone slap you on the right cheek, what do you do? Many of you, you will siam. But the Bible says, turn to him, the other also. Jesus says, if anyone, of, anyone would sue you to take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. In today's term, if anyone sue you for your car, give him your house also. You will say, what? Really? And then the Bible says, if someone asks you for help to go one mile, then go second mile with that person. Do not repay evil with, but repay evil with. We know all this. And then the Bible says, be still and know that I am God. So all this wonderful, baffling, all this amazing counsellor, counsellings, counsels, these are the things that God, Jesus, has given us. Jesus, wonderful counsellor. We may reject his teaching. We may make no sense of it. We can't even fully understand it when we hear it. But the Bible says that He is a wonderful counsellor. Secondly, mighty God, El Gibor. The same exact phrase is used in chapter 10, verse 21 again, only two times. Mighty God, El Gibor. Of course, Jesus is mighty God, the Son of a living God. He is the creator of heaven and earth. And He is going to be born a child for us. And let's imagine a baby. Imagine in your mind right now, a small, cute little baby, a newborn baby, less than six months old. This baby, so helpless, this baby can't even defend himself or herself. This baby, so delicate. But yet, the Bible says, mighty God. Mighty God. How can a baby become a mighty God? Imagine Mary giving birth to Jesus. Such a cute, wonderful baby. And yet, this baby is wonderful, counsellor, mighty God. I remember when I watched the Disney animation Aladdin. When Aladdin first came out from the, 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 the uh, genie lamp, okay, when he says, when he came out, the genie exclaimed and says, Phenomenal cosmic power! He shouted, Phenomenal cosmic power! Came out, coming out from a small little lamp. Small little Aladdin lamp. A genie stuck inside, so small. But yet, he has a phenomenal cosmic power. We are not talking about earthly power. We are talking about cosmic power. Jesus, that small little baby, has more than beyond of the phenomenal cosmic power. That is who Christ is. Mighty God. 
And number three, eternal father. Now, this is a very interesting name for Jesus. Eternal father. In Hebrew, abiyat. Eternal father. Now, let's not confuse the second person of Trinity, Jesus, the Son of God, with the first person of Trinity, our Father in heaven. Alright? Now, when we pray, we always pray to our Father in heaven, the first person of Trinity, our Father in heaven. But we do not pray to Jesus, the second person of Trinity, the Son of God, as Father. We only pray to the first person and refer the first person, God, the Father in heaven. But Isaiah here have no problem identifying Jesus, the coming Messiah, who is going to be born 730 years afterward, to be eternal Father. Why? Because Jesus is the originator of everything. Jesus is the creator and original, originator of everything. And He come to give us eternal life. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, it says, Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. So Jesus is the originator of all things. In that sense, He is the Father of all things. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 17. The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, prototokos, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or power or rulers of authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. In that sense, He is the originator. He is the firstborn, prototokos. He is the Father. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2. But in this last day, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He, God, appointed heir of all things, and through whom He made the universe. So the Scripture tells us that even though Jesus is not the first person, God the Father, but He is eternal Father because He's the originator of everything. And in that way, Jesus is the Father of all creation. Prototokos, the eternal Father. And number four, Prince of Peace, Sa Shalom. Alright? Sa Shalom. Christ Jesus, at that time, He came, born as a baby. But when He lived, He offered something that the Israelites were looking for during Jesus' time. An eternal kingdom. A kingdom that's free from conflict where they can live in peace. For hundreds and hundreds of years, the Jews, they live in bondage. They have been in 400 years of bondage in Egypt. 40 years in wandering in the desert. And when they finally came to Canaan land, they were constantly at war with the Philistines. And after that, during the time of Jesus, they were conquered and oppressed by the Roman Empire. So, when Jesus was born, he is that king, the promised king that would deliver Israel and give peace and build a kingdom. But not an earthly kingdom, a kingdom that have no, no bounds, the kingdom that will never end. Because God's kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. His rule is not an earthly rule. 
His kingdom is a spiritual rule over the hearts of everyone who willingly submit to Him. And those who put his faith in Christ Jesus, Christ rule and reign in your heart. And that is the spiritual kingdom that Jesus is ushering in. So today, Jesus reigns as the Prince of Peace in our hearts if we let him be. Paul speaks about this Prince of Peace in Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. And he says here, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as member of one body, you will call to peace and be thankful. In Christ, there is peace. He gives peace. And today, let me ask you this question. As we went through 20 months of pandemic, financial challenges, political challenges, relationship challenges, work and study challenges, is the peace of Christ in you? The Bible says that Jesus is the Prince of Peace and He will bring you peace. Peace that surpasses all understanding and it is in you. This morning, find me a person who rightly has these four titles. I will be willingly give up all my life to follow this person. Find me a person who can Fulfill all these four prophecies. Where he's born, when he's born, how he's born. Who will he be? The four names that we have just mentioned. If find me someone who can fulfill all four, I'll be willingly give up my life to follow him. The miracle of Jesus is not that a child is born. The miracle of Jesus is that this child who fulfills all the prophecy so specifically is born. If you can do mathematics, what is the odd of someone who can fulfill all this prophecy, which is prophesied 700 years before the birth of Jesus? And this is how amazing Jesus' birth is. That Jesus, He came and become total human and total God. 100% man, 100% God. He became our wonderful counsellor. He came to human form and became the mighty God. He came to human form and became an everlasting Father. He came in human form and become our Prince of Peace. In conclusion, let me tell this. As Jesus has undergone great humility, in his quest to love us and to redeem you and I, he left the glory of heaven, came to earth to be born a helpless baby, struggle with whatever you and I struggle through also, so that he identify with you and with me and become our substitute and die on the cross, so that you and I can have this privilege to live our life for him. This coming Christmas, how should we respond to this Christ Jesus? Before Jesus went back to heaven, this is what he says. This is the great commission. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 to 20, he says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, 
and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely, I will be with you always. Now, church, whether you're watching online or on-site, let me ask you this question. Would you embrace this privilege and responsibility to tell someone why you celebrate Christmas? Why you will hold on to this Jesus? In six more days, this coming Saturday, 25th December, we will be celebrating Christmas. Many efforts is being put to making a wonderful Christmas celebration. But it's not just a celebration for you and for me. It's a celebration to tell the world the good news of great joy. This morning, let me encourage you. Would you join us to invite your friends and send the YouTube link that you have on the Christmas Day online service. Invite your friends and family members to come and join so that they can hear the good news of great joy. So that they can hear how God can truly change life. Would you respond to this wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and to tell this Jesus and say, yes, I will embrace this privilege and this responsibility to spread the good news of great joy. Today, Let's respond to this God. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Let's pray before we sing another song in response to the Lord. Father Lord, we thank you because you, you came, Father Lord, 2,000 years ago as a baby, a helpless babe, but yet you are the Wonderful Counselor. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Mighty God. Father Lord, we thank you because you sent your Son Jesus. And that you have prophesied, you have let us know that a virgin shall conceive, and this young woman will give birth to your Son Jesus Christ. And that God is with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus. Thank you for your love for us. And as the response, let us sing this song and let us give thanks unto Him and worship Him for who He is. And I would like to turn the time to the worship Him right now.